The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is the Employment Law Show. Greetings, 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 and welcome to it. It's at 6.32 on a Thursday. It's uh, John Scholes here, along with lawyer from San Fiu to Market LLP. Most appropriately enough, Chris Justice is your guy covering the show tonight, doing all the heavy lifting. If you want to reach Chris on your own time, you can do so. And that is help at employmentlawyer.ca and 1-855-821-5900. But like I said, lines are open. The show depends on you, so bring it on, 416-870-6400. And it's going to be the main topic as we slide into it shortly, being let go from your job without even realizing it. What is that all about? We'll break it down for sure. But we always start off with the case of the day. Something has been going on on your end. Mr. Justice, what's happening, pal? Yeah, thanks as always. So I thought I'd start off with a case of the day, sort of a case that is has been on my plate for quite some time. Uh, one that I was, um, on behalf of my client, required to commence a lawsuit over. And it has to do with the idea or the issue of where employers don't conduct a proper workplace investigation. You know, there's some sort of concern that gets raised and then for for one reason or another... The investigation's shoddy, it's faulty, it's just got, you know, errors strewn all over it, and then it's literally impossible for the employer to rely on that. And and not only that, but the employer can get into a lot of hot water too. Um, and, and that's sort of what happened in this particular case. So I have a client, uh, she's fairly senior up in the company itself. Uh, she was a director, it's a very high ranking and uh, she had to make a decision about where to put a certain employee as far as their role within the company. And she decided to give a promotion to one particular individual. But it then came out later that she had a romantic relationship with this particular individual, um, a relationship which was disclosed to HR. But the timing of that relationship then came into question. You know, was was this a situation where you know, this individual had a romantic relationship and got a promotion, you know, in part due to that relationship, or was that relationship not yet formed at the time that the promotion was given? So there were some questions being asked from some employees, and that triggered an investigation from the employer's perspective. But in this particular case, there are a number of examples that show that the investigation was done very shoddily, a very faulty investigation. And so kind of put together a little bit of a checklist because it applies to this case for sure, but it's also um, just a message to employers as well on, on sort of things to avoid and, and also employees, things to look out for when when this investigation is happening. So some of the issues with the investigation that came to light were, uh, first of all, the the employer started off by making a false representation to the, the, the director who was under investigation. They told her that um, they had hired an independent third party that had no connection whatsoever to the company to do the investigation, which is actually the right way you're supposed to do it for the most part, get somebody that's non-biased. Mm-hmm. But it ended up being the case that there was a connection between this investigation 
company and the and the company that that this woman worked for. So that sort of wasn't disclosed to her. And furthermore, the employer actually did the investigation before this other company got involved, which they also lied about. They they performed their own little mini investigation prior to that. Um, so that, that was a couple big issues right there. Number two was the investigation wasn't really confidential. People were having interviews, you know, those that were interviewed in, as part of the investigation. They had these interviews conducted in a public restaurant right near the entrance where a lot of traffic was was coming and coming out. So definitely confidentiality concerns right there. And then a third issue was the scope of the investigation actually ended up extending beyond the the matters that were at hand. And they started trying to delve into other aspects of this director's life. And uh, so that was a huge problem, too. And then last but not least, after this director gave her evidence, gave information for the interviews, she was placed on a suspension without pay. So, you know, four or five or six different issues right there, just in this case alone, on ways that this investigation was mishandled. And when employers do that, not only do they risk having to pay the full severance to the employee if they decide that the stress is too much and they have to leave, but they also have to pay extra damages for bad faith and, and the manner in which the investigation is carried out. And so a big can of worms can get opened and employers can be uh, much more significantly on the hook as far as liability is concerned. So um, I'm hoping to actually resolve this case in the not too distant future. But, you know, it, there is a lot of leverage on our end just based on all those issues. And as I say, just something to keep a, a lookout for, whether you're on either side of the, uh, the employment relationship. And as mentioned, you can always uh, reach out to uh, to Chris on your own time for you know a similar matter or something completely different. And uh, for that, it's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. David, thanks for standing by for a couple moments there, pal. How are you tonight? Uh, I'm fine. Good, sir. What's what's on your mind? What's happening? Hello. You got a terrible connection, man. Try it again. <laughs> okay, hold on. I was recently let go uh, two weeks before Christmas. Uh, I was called into a little meeting, uh, read a letter under no prejudice, under no cause, and we must terminate you. Okay. There for two weeks or two years. I was your senior guy in that department, and they uh, paid me out for two weeks. I was just wondering, is it worth my while? Am I entitled to more or or not? I've been there, what, uh, two years? I'm 60 years old. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's worth your while. I mean, just based on the information you've given as far as your age, how long you were there, you gave a little bit of info on your role, seemed like, as you say, very fairly senior uh, in the company. Uh, you could be entitled to four, five, six months, possibly even more, depending on the situation. So, I mean, when you say to me you got two weeks, that sounds like the absolute bare minimum, if that, which they have to pay you in any case. But um, absolutely, the vast majority of cases I look at where people get severance packages, they get something that's woefully inadequate, and uh, they're, they have a really good shot of actually getting a lot more. Now, there are certain considerations that come into play as far as maybe whether you signed a contract when you started or at some point in your employment history and what that could say, uh, or perhaps you know if you might find a job relatively soon, that could also affect things. But from the sounds of it, you've already been let go. It's been, uh, what, almost two months coming up to. Um, yes. So I would definitely give us a call. 
I would definitely give us a call. And, and if anything, we can flesh out the details a bit more. But um, I mentioned what your potential could look like. So I think it's absolutely. Yeah, it. because they had uh, no reason, no cause written right in the letter. Yeah. And they just and, based on the Employment Standards Act that I was entitled to two weeks. Right. Right. Which which may be true, but that's just oftentimes the absolute bare minimum. And when I'm actually talking about someone's potential maximum, in a lot of cases, it's triple, quadruple, or even more of, of what they've been offered or what they've been given. So definitely give us a call. I'm sure we can help you out and, and get you a much more fair and reasonable severance package. Dave, appreciate the uh, the call, pal. Let's uh, take a short break, our, uh, our one break for the night, get into our main topic and more of your phone calls. want to remind you that you can reach out to Chris, anytime, uh, that number, one 821 5900 You are wise as well to stop by the website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca first. That will answer tons of your questions. If not, follow up with a phone call to Chris and his team. Thursday night edition, Employment Law Show continues. Hang in. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. All right, Kyle, it's your turn, pal. What's going on with you? Hey, been a long-time listener, so that's why I'm calling in. Love it. Um, Love it. I've been on a uh, performance improvement plan uh, that was mm. uh, I signed and agreed to that was supposed to expire on the 25th. I was supposed to get a formal follow-up, and on that day, uh, all I got was there's going to be a just a, about a week to review everything. And I thought, okay, verbally I agreed. That's no problem. I recognize my supervisor is very busy. So I continued as is, and I agreed to that. Verbally understanding, it'll be about a week. I should find out the next Thursday what's going on. Um, that Thursday, we just went over daily summaries of what I've been submitting. And uh, there was no further mention of what is the resolution. So I've gone in now this week, and we're in the week two, and still the same case. No update, no resolution, no actions moving forward. And so my concern is, that I've agreed to the terms for this performance improvement plan being under a microscope. And I don't want it to now appear that since we're outside of that frame past that date, that these are my new work terms that I'm to be working under and make it seem like I've agreed and accepted that this is my new work life. I want to know, am I really in that kind of bucket where I'm looking at I could be in constructive dismissal zone, or am I not? I just need to kind of wait for some kind of something. Yeah, I, I think you definitely need to get some clarification for sure. Obviously, it seems like there was some understanding that you would be told what's going to be what, and that hasn't happened. So um, I don't know how many times exactly you followed up, but I would probably send them something if you haven't already in writing to say, you know, look, we had this discussion early back. You said you'd get back to me by this day. Still haven't heard from you. I'd appreciate it if, you know, you guys could respond to me within, you know, say a few business days or something, put a deadline on it. And I think at that point, uh, you know, there's probably not a whole lot more you can do maybe than uh, passing them by in the office and asking them, but you've at least now got a record where you can show you've made an attempt, you've sought clarity. And if they're going to just 
keep you in the dark and you're going to be in a situation where you may have to just continue doing a job or a number of tasks that are such that they're completely different from what you were doing or a significant change to what you're doing before, then absolutely you could be in a situation where, you know, you're having to decide, do I accept these fundamental changes to my employment and then have that forever potentially be the case and not go back? Or do I stand at my, my ground and say, look, this is not something I'm agreeable to. This is what I agree to specifically, but going forward, you know, this represents a significant change. And um, at that point, you know, of course, the ball would be the, in the employer's court. So I would say in general that there's definitely the potential for constructive dismissal in your case, and you may have some options as far as how you want to go about doing this. But I also think that communication is important, especially, you know, in writing, but just also in general. So I would suggest you give us a call actually sooner rather than later so that we can kind of get a better understanding of what exactly this PIP, this performance improvement plan says, what you might have signed or verbally agreed to and when, and and just, yeah, get a better sense of kind of the landscape there so we can give you an idea of what your best options are. But uh, there, there does seem to be the potential there for a constructive dismissal. So, I mean, you know, just know that. And, and like I say, follow-up would be my recommendation. All right. Thank you so much. Glad I listened to the show to know to be on top of things like this. Kyle, thanks, Kyle. Appreciate, uh, appreciate your time and the uh, length of time you've been listening to. Continue to do so. We always got to, always got stuff to teach you. And reaching out, by the way, if you didn't catch that number, you probably have it already if you want to follow up with uh, Chris. <laughs> Later on, one 821 5900 Chris, let's get into it. Uh, being let go from your job without even realizing. It sounds kind of weird, but it does happen. Um, how, how can they do that? How about this? You're placed on a temporary layoff. This has been a huge focus over the last four years, of course, of the pandemic, right? And going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, our last caller sort of referenced uh-huh. a situation where there could be a constructive dismissal. And a lot of these examples that we're going to go through as far as, you know, again, being let go from your job without realizing it are uh, basically a constructive dismissal or an example of a constructive dismissal, which is when the employer makes significant changes to the terms of your employment and you don't agree to that. So the first is, is you know, you being placed on a temporary layoff. And a lot of people actually misunderstand the the notion that an employer can do this they think that you know there may be something in the employment standards act or some piece of legislation that allows employers to put you on a temporary layoff when actually there's a completely different area of the law that says they can't and um that's that's the law that usually takes precedence so no there is not an inherent ability for an employer to put you on a temporary layoff even if they say they're going to call you back and so as an employee um, that could be deemed a constructive dismissal and therefore in the eyes of the law, a termination for which you'd be owed your full severance. Um, so if you are in a situation where you're being told you're going to be put on a layoff or you're currently on a layoff that you may not have agreed to, um, you definitely want to consider, you know, is this something I'm agreeable to in general? Do I want to take uh, a stand here and, and maybe assert a constructive dismissal, go after severance? Uh, in, in most of these cases, you are going to have that ability to do so if you are placed on that layoff. 416-870-6400. Join us. Nathan, you're up next, pal. Good evening. How are you? Hey, good, good evening. Thanks for uh, taking my call. So, sure. um, as I was telling your screener, but I'm actually just calling to test to see, to get sort of an opinion as to whether this is worth pursuing when something does happen. So, I'm calling on behalf of my mom. She's 74 um, she's been an RN for, oh God, I don't know, four, 45 years. Wow. She was the, she was the head RN of a, I'd rather not give you too many specifics on it. Um, yeah. a medical facility for five floors. It's not government, it's private. Um, 
she's she recently in November she was so she was having a bit of trouble seeing for quite some time but she went to the eye doctor and they said okay you've got cataracts a couple of things um you you can't drive and she's in total agreement with all of that um and they said well I'm going to I'm going to write a letter because because of the nature of your work you really can't perform your work because it involves you know detailed prescriptions um signing off on things of that nature mm-hmm. um she's she does, as part of a union, she hasn't really got a lot of support from the union other than the basics. Um, and there's a pretty good chance and a pretty good sentiment if you delve into some of the details and the nuances that they're probably going to either, you know, let her go before she has her surgery and comes back or come bring her back and then, you know, let her go. Um, there's She's never been, like, written up or, or anything of that nature, so... I was just wondering what the, what how this falls into the employment law, how she could you know protect herself and, and that type of thing. Okay, so I'll start right off the bat by saying I primarily, if not exclusively, work in the non-unionized context. So, so pretty much everything that I'm about to say is going to be coming from the non-unionized context. That's not to say that there can't be overlap in terms of of the advice I give and the advice a union steward would give, um, but I just want to say that. To begin with, um, mm-hmm. you know, there are situations where somebody can't do their job, right? Say I'm a lawyer, I get into a car accident, I suffer a, a traumatic brain injury, I can't do my job. It's, it's, it's literally impossible for me to do my job. Well, normally, I'd go off on a disability leave of some sort, and my employer would be obligated to accommodate me while I'm off. And uh, if, there, if there does come a point in time where I'm able to go back to my job and perform at the very least the, the majority of my duties, because um, employers will still generally have to accommodate even if there's, there's some burden or inconvenience on them. But if I can do that and I've got the support of my doctors, then at that point I would go back to work. Now, if I'm let go upon my return or even if I'm let go while I'm off on the disability leave, that's not going to look great to say the least from the company's perspective. Um, and there's certainly going to be suspicion of whether this had any role in my termination. So that would be one thing to kind of uh, keep an eye out for. But yeah, I think if it comes down to just her inability to do the job, then of course, you know, she would go off on a leave. Um, but there has to be some form of accommodation throughout. And I guess it's just more of a wait and see if they do decide to let her go, you know, what her entitlements are at that point. Because in the non-unionized context, if she gets let go, um, you know, not only is she going to typically get her full severance because it's a without cause termination, but depending on the optics and the situation regarding the disability leave and whether it played any role in the termination, she could also be looking at uh, human rights related damages. So th- that's probably what I'd say in general from that non-unionized perspective. In, in a unionized context, you're going to have the union rep. And I know that unfortunately some of them aren't the best, <laughs> but they're going to essentially be the contact point to advance these sorts of arguments on her behalf, whether they advance them on her behalf through a grievance uh, before she's let go. Maybe there's a, a separate issue that's going on or they wait for termination to occur, and then she perhaps files a grievance. Because that's essentially the union process, right? You file a grievance. There's going to be the collective bargaining agreement that's going to set out how that's sort of procedurally done. Um, But there are different rules in unionized contexts. And so it's not quite a one-to-one to to say, you know, she would get this amount of severance here, so therefore it's the same on the union front. But I generally tell people to definitely talk with the union rep, get a sense of kind of 
what the arguments would be, but but I think when it comes to accommodations, that's in general the nutshell of, of what employers have to do. So yeah, it might just be a matter of sort of waiting and seeing what occurs going forward. Uh, well, I appreciate that. It makes perfect sense what you said. So yeah, I think you're right. It's a wait and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's a problem because... That's a bad point. Yeah, it, exactly. Like it, we're causing the problems, but we will wait and see. Yeah, yeah exactly. And a lot of people actually, you know, they'll come to me and they'll say, Chris, my union rep's not doing the best job for me. Can I get you involved? Can I, I get know. someone else to represent me? And it's just, you know, very, very hard, if not almost impossible uh, for, for you to, to succeed on a, what they call, I think a duty of fair representation claim against your union. It's just, it's just one of the rules with the union side of things, but hopefully they'll, they'll do their job if, and when the time comes. And, and as always, if you need a, a, a sort of a brain to bounce some ideas off of, I mean, feel free to give us a call. It's just, again, we don't typically specialize in that area. We were in the last couple of minutes here. I guess we'll knock off a couple more of our list of being let go from your job sure. without realizing it. Uh, your employer changes terms of your employment. That could be a whole host of things, right? Yeah, yeah. Pay, hours, location, duties. Um, again, that was sort of somewhat was talked about in, in one of the earlier callers. Um, but it could be anything, you know. And, and uh, again, if it's not something that you signed up for, if it's something that is not reflected in any agreement you would have uh, signed yourself, uh, employers can't typically do this, especially when it comes to significant changes. And even if it's in, in good faith, it doesn't have to be a case where you're being targeted. They could have some valid reason for making changes, and it could still amount to a constructive dismissal just based on how significant the change is and, and you know whether or not you consented to it. And uh, we'll get to another one of these. You're put on an unpaid suspension. Not a paid, an unpaid suspension. That's not right. That ain't right. Yeah, in, in the vast majority of cases, that's going to be um, another breach of someone's contract. Uh, there would have to be some real good language in a contract to typically allow that to happen. It's, it's definitely more acceptable to do a paid suspension. Um, but when it comes to unpaid suspension, uh, it can be definitely a problem. And on its own, in some cases, actually constitute a constructive dismissal. Yeah, because usually if you're on suspension, you're being, you know, looked at for something or there's an investigation going on. Once they stop paying you, well, now you've been deemed guilty without even having a trial, right? You know what I mean? Like you're not getting paid, so obviously they think you're guilty. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people actually, again, assume incorrectly that employers have this ability, even if there's some tenuous ground to put somebody on a suspension, they just they just think that they can do so on an unpaid basis. and. Yeah, for all I know, the investigation, so to speak, could be going on for weeks or months. And all the meanwhile, I'm just sitting here with no pay. And then, as you say, John, there could be vindication at the end, but then it's like the damage has already been done. And finally, your employer will not accommodate your medical restrictions. Uh Yeah, you know, again, I, I alluded to this earlier, but when people go off on disability leaves and then decide to come back, they may say to their employer, like, hey, look, I can do my job, maybe 90% of it. And the employer is going to say, nope, until you do 100%, I don't want 99, I don't want 95, until you're at 100%, I don't want you back. And that's just not acceptable at all. That's a human rights violation. Employers have to take on some burden or inconvenience when it comes to accommodation, which isn't to say they, they accept somebody can only do a third of their job. But, but there are those cases, unfortunately, where they just demand perfection. And, and that's a failure to accommodate in almost every case. And with that, we're going to wrap it up for another evening. Really appreciate you tuning in. If you made a call, thank you as well. You continue the conversation with Chris on the uh, the other side on your own time, the number one 855 
821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900 to reach Chris. Help at employmentlawyer.ca and that website. Go there first. Trust me, it's a good one. You'll have access to the severance calculator as well. That would be pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time right here on the Employment Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.